when in doubt. What are we supposed to do when we find ourselves doubting? And so I want to share with you this morning some of the scriptures and something that I believe will be an encouragement to all of us to, uh, to keep moving forward, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit of God and, 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 and whether the enemy comes at us and creating all kinds of doubt and anxiety in our hearts that we know that in spite of it, we can be certain and we can come, overcome the wavering and the double-mindedness that we wrestle against on a regular basis. So I'm gonna invite you to open up to the, the book of James and we'll begin with what James has to say about doubt. And in James chapter 1, I'll begin reading at verse 5. He's talking about asking, petitioning the Lord for wisdom when we're lacking wisdom. And he gives us some very specific instructions in doing so. In verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. So how much doubting can you mix with faith? None. All right. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So we're instructed here that when we are petitioning the Lord, specifically here petitioning the Lord concerning wisdom, he's saying we can certainly do so and the Lord will give it to us liberally, but then he gives a very specific instruction. Make sure that when you're petitioning God for wisdom, do so in full confidence of faith with no doubting. Doubting is, uh, is, is defined as to be uncertain or to be wavering or to be double-minded, to be uncertain. Many times, you know, um, I find myself more often than I like to admit that I'm, 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 I want to petition God and I'm going to be petitioning God for something. And in this particular instance, it's wisdom. And, but yet have that wrestling in the mind going on and, and, and circumstances uh, in life speaking, sometimes even screaming at me and, 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 and causing doubt to rise up and just really wrestling with the idea of, well, I'm not really sure this is going to work, but I'm going to ask God anyway. Or I'm really not sure this is possible. I'm not sure this is the right solution. I'm not sure this is the right direction, but I, I'm going to believe God anyway. But here James is telling us that when you petition God, he says, let, let us ask in faith, that's full assurance and in full confidence with no doubting, absolutely no doubting, no uncertainty, no wavering, and no double-mindedness. So he's, uh, James is very firm on this, and it can almost come across, and, and, and when we're hearing it, it, it can feel very harsh and, and condemning, Think, oh my gosh, am I gonna get any of my prayers answers? Because there's always an element of the natural world. I'm seeing things with my my natural eyes, and, and the, the current reality is what it is, but yet Scripture is promising this. Scripture is leading in this direction. The Holy Spirit is prompting in this direction, but all my uh, surrounding circumstances and all my current realities are screaming something else. And it's like, well, you know, am I going to ever have my prayers answered if I, I need to be praying with no doubting? Well, I believe that we can come to a place where we can petition the Lord in full assurance of faith with no doubting when we, when we have put into certain practices to overcome our doubts or to arrest our doubts. Amen. Starve your doubts. 
and keep feeding your faith. That's one place to start. But then, so we have that here from James, and it's very harsh. But then in Matthew chapter 14, we have the, the, the story of Jesus appearing to the disciples in the middle of the sea. And they're not sure who it is, but they're petitioning Jesus. And they're saying, Jesus, if that's you, you know, let us come to you. And, and when Peter said that, uh, Jesus just simply replied to him. He says, well, come, come to me. So in the middle of the sea, in the middle of this storm, Peter calls to Jesus and said, if that's you, uh, you know, then, then I want to come out to you. And Jesus replied and said, come, come. And that's found in verse, uh, in verse 29 when Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on water to go to Jesus. Now, let me ask you something. Uh, just want to ask your opinion, your perspective on something. If you're in a boat and it's stormy, the waves are what they are, you know, rocking your boat and so forth. And here you see Jesus walking on the water. First of all, just the fact that Jesus appeared to them walking on the water was like, how could that be? He was just up in the mountains hours ago when we were with him. How could he be here now? How did he get here so quickly? So that, you know, they even have to, they, they have to wrestle with that idea. Well, how did, you know, it couldn't be Jesus. You know, he's, he's several hours away. We, we departed hours before he did. So how could he be here? So they had, to, they had to reconcile that in their mind. First of all, he says, Jesus, if that's you, bid me to come, if that's you. See, that he's putting, putting his doubts to rest. Go ahead and ask Jesus. Don't be afraid to ask him. He can't quite figure it out. He says, now, Jesus, if this is you, then bid me, to, you know. So talk to him. Don't be afraid to talk to him. But Jesus makes one reply, one word, and said, come. And on that word, come, on that command to come, Peter gets out of the boat and walks on water, and he walks to Jesus, toward Jesus. Now, do you think that that is a person of faith? To get out of the boat, you see Jesus walking water. Well, bless God, Jesus is walking in the water, and he told me to come, so I'm going to walk in the water to him. I personally think that takes a tremendous amount of faith. I have walked on water on numerous occasions, but it has always been in January, February, when Blue Marsh is frozen over. <laughs> I, have, I have never been successful in doing it in July and August, but, <laughs> but here Peter is walking on water. So he, so he has a great element of, of faith on display here, and he, he's walking on the water. But let's, let's read a couple of verses here in verse 30. Uh, verse 29 says, when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on water to go to Jesus. Verse 30, but, but when he saw that the wind was boisterous. He was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and called him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. So Peter dis displaying great faith by stepping out of the boat and walking on the water. Uh, he, he was displaying great faith, but then something happened. Something happened that caused him to doubt. And his reasoning kicked in. Wait a minute. 
wait a minute, these waves are really, really tumultuous here. I really should not be out here. I don't know what took me out of the boat. I don't know what's sustaining me on this water, but it, what I'm doing right now doesn't seem possible, so I better, uh, I better cry out for some help because this is not sustainable. Well, the truth is it was sustainable, but what he saw all of a sudden caused doubt to rise up in his heart, and when he began to doubt, he began to sink. And when he began to sink, he cried out to Jesus. Now, sometimes we've been too hard on Peter over the years. We said, you know, he tried to walk on water and he sank. Well, he didn't try to walk on water. He did walk on water. Number two, he didn't sink. It says he's beginning to sink. But they walked back. He and Jesus walked back to the boat. They walked back. So he was walking. He was a water walker. But Jesus then asked him, he says, you know, asked, poses the question, you know, he said, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Because he's not saying you didn't have enough faith to walk on water. You, didn't, you had enough faith to obey me. You had enough faith to come at my command to come. You had enough faith to get out of the boat. You had enough faith to walk on the water. But something happened. A switch flipped somewhere that caused everything to go awry or, or to begin to go awry. And you began to sink. And in fear, you cried out to me, which is a smart thing to do. You find yourself sinking because of doubt. Cry out to Jesus. Don't just keep sinking and drown out there. Cry out to Jesus, and he will reach out to you like he always does and rescue you, and he'll walk with you back to a resolution. But something happened. And what happened was when Peter, and tells us right here, uh, verse, verse 30, says, when Peter saw. Everyone say, when Peter saw. What did he see? the wind and the waves. And so what he saw, with, what he was witnessing with his natural eyes caused doubt to come into his heart of faith and it caused a conflict. And that's our lives today. We have the promises of the word of God. We have the leading of the Holy Spirit. We have the commands of scripture and we have a heart that wants so to please God and to follow God and to be men and women and young men and women of faith. We want to be considered people that uh, we're obeying God. And when Jesus tells us to come, we come, even though it doesn't make any sense to the natural realm. When he tells us to sow, we sow. When it doesn't make any sense in the natural realm, when he tells us to forgive, even uh, to forgive our offenders, even though in the natural doesn't make any sense. Why, why should I forgive them? They hurt me. They offended me. But, you know, we, we want to do these things. But there's circumstances that we see with our natural eye in this natural realm cause doubt to come in. And, and uh, why do we doubt? You know, uh, why are we uncertain? Why do we waver at the promises of God? And why do we uh, waver at the commands of Scripture? It's because of what we are experiencing in this natural life. Circumstances coming against us, and it's not always the devil. Some, some Christians, and especially among charismatic believers, they want to blame everything on the devil. The devil has a lot to do in a, in, in a lot of situations, but not everything is the devil. And if we stop blaming the devil and take responsibility for our own thought life, that's a good place to start, overcoming doubt. What am I thinking? What am I looking to? What am I witnessing? What am I allowing to rob faith from my heart? What do I continually look to that robs my faith rather than builds my faith? And so we want to be starving our doubts and, and building up our faith on a regular basis and keep believing God. Then there's a, Jesus makes a statement concerning doubt. I just want to give it to you for, uh, for your personal studies, but it's found in Mark 11 and, and 23. 
This has to do, again, in, in, uh, in our confessions of our hope and the confessions of our faith that we are to be uh, declaring as born-again believers. But Jesus makes this statement in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, right after he told the disciples to make sure that, they have, that their faith is firmly established in God. When your faith is firmly established in God, in verse 23, Jesus makes this profound statement. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. So it's a very profound truth that Jesus is revealing here, speaking to us. I would encourage you to memorize this, to become very familiar with it, practice this, uh, not practice it, well, practice it, but become a doer of it, is be a better way to say it, and say, be a doer of what? Being a, become a doer of someone that you believe in your heart that when you speak to the mountains, to the circumstances in your life that are conflicting with God's will for your life, that you can speak to the mountain and you can command it to be removed and to be cast into the sea with no doubting in your heart but believing that those things you say, but believing that those things you say will be done, you will have whatever you say. So believing in your heart that the things that you say, that the mountains that you speak to, the circumstances that you speak to, it's a type of prayer. And, and you are praying, you're taking responsibility for your life and, and, and you can see yourself as an overcomer and you're no longer doubting in your heart, but you are believing in your heart and you are doing what Jesus tells you to do. So I wanted to share those with you because James talks about in the, in the arena of faith, you, you ask God with no doubting, here Jesus is saying you make your declarations, you make your confessions with no doubting. And uh, uh, Peter, Jesus uh, basically asked Peter, he said, listen, uh, you did well, but something caused you to doubt. Oh, you have little faith. You know, so he allowed doubt to come in because of the circumstances that he was seeing. But I want to invite you now to turn to the Gospel of John chapter chapter 6. As I, I see an illustration of what I'm endeavoring to communicate to you this morning that I find it very helpful in my life, and I've reflected on this and meditated on, on this particular portion of Scripture quite often, and it's, uh, it's just something that's helped me, and it's, just, it's the, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. This is recorded in the other Gospels as well, but in, in this particular setting, we, uh, we see that it's... Uh, I, I, I like the interaction that Jesus has here with the disciples. So you have the, you have the background here. Uh, Jesus is uh, feeding the 5,000. In verse 1 of chapter 6, it's after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which was at the Sea of Tiberias. A great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. Notice they witnessed him healing and delivering people that were oppressed to the enemy. Verse 3 says that Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. So he's up on the mountain with his disciples. The Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Verse 5 says, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him. He said to Philip, here's the part that I've always been intrigued by, and I love this particular passage here. He, so it's Jesus and the disciples are up on the mountain, 
And he lifts up his eyes and he sees this huge multitude of people coming toward him. It says here, 5,000. And that other scriptures make clear this was the men that were counted. So not, so that, including the, the women and the children, could have well been 10, 15, 20, 30,000. Who knows how many it was? You know, what's, you know, but really, it doesn't make any difference. If you need a miracle for five people, you need a miracle for 5,000 or 50,000. You need a miracle. So the idea was here, so he lifted up his eyes, and this huge multitude of people is coming. And, and, and Jesus, I, I love his personality, and I love how he, he uh, discipled and, and mentored his disciples, but he, he put Poses this question to Philip. Jesus lifted his eyes and he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Notice this huge multitude is coming to us, and he looks over at Philip, and Jesus is thinking, Wow, this is really going to take a miracle of God here, and uh, I know what I'm going to do because I already asked God what to do, and he, he showed me what I'm going to do, but I'm going to use this as a teaching moment for Philip, and I'm going to use it as a teaching moment for the body of Christ. So here's Jesus taking something, and he's making a teaching moment out of it. He already knew what he's going to do. And I want you to know that many circumstances in your life, Jesus is a teaching moment. Jesus already knows what he's going to do when he whispers in your ear, when, when you hear that still small voice in your inner man, in your heart, in your spirit. You hear that still small voice and you're, and you're thinking, is that God? Is that the devil or is that the flesh? Is that me? Is it God or is it the devil? Has anyone ever asked those questions? You, 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 think you're, you think you know what you're supposed to do or you think you have a prompting or a stirring to do something, but you're thinking, oh my gosh, how's that ever going to happen? I remember wrestling with that when I was felt the prompting of God to go into, full, in, into ministry. And in my mind, I was going to start my own contracting, electrical contracting business. That's what I was going to do. Then, then I felt God saying, no, I want, you to go to, I want you to go to Bible school and I want you to commit yourself to you know, becoming a pastor of a local church. And I remember wrestling with that. Is that the flesh? Is that the devil trying to mess me up? Or, you know, or is it God? And one week I was going to Bible school and the next week I was going to start my own business and, you know, it was back and forth, wavering back and forth until finally it settled in. It settled in. And just in case you're wondering how that settled in because it got to the point where I, you know, I, I really wasn't telling many people about it, but uh, I was, fortunately I was, the, the employer I was working for, the contract I was working for was a born-again Christian. And one morning he pulled me aside and he said, I need to talk to you for a minute. I thought... I didn't mess it up. It wasn't me. <laughs> I said, well, I need to get out on the job, blah, blah, blah. No, no, I just need to talk to you for a minute. He said, the guys will be fine. He said, he said I just want to talk to you for a minute. He pulled me aside and he said, what's going on? And I thought he got wind that I'm talking about going in business for myself and he's going to be mad at me and he's going to be upset with me and he's going to fire me. And he said, what's going on? I said, what do you mean going on? What do you mean what's going on? I was trying to play it down and he said there's something changed and I told my wife he said I need to talk to Ray he said something's going on in his life something changed and I said well at that point I knew I needed to make a decision I need to come clean and I don't know if I was afraid to tell him I was going to start my own business so instead of telling him that I said I'm going into ministry <laughs> No, it was a God moment. It was that, it was that God moment. It was that 
it was that push that I needed to come clean and, and, and communicate to him. And, and from that moment on, you know, he said, I knew it. He said, I knew it. He said, I, something, I, I knew that something changed. You were different. So anyway, I took that as affirmation. And from there, you know, ended up going to Bible school. And, but I had a lot of those moments of, is it me? Is it the devil? Is it God? You know, who is it? Because now it's deciding what Bible school is. Several different Bible school options. And then in Bible school, now what do you do after Bible school? How do you start a church? I never pioneered a church. Never did it. And was just different things came up. And just, but looking back and seeing the hand of God leading and guiding in, in the various steps. So I had a lot of experience in, God, is this you? Is this you? Is there anyone else up there that might have something better that, you know, lines up better? Have you ever heard the story of the mountain climber when he's climbing the mountain and he's on a, up on a very sheer cliff and he fell? And he's falling to his death, but he's able to, to grab onto one of those little branches, trees, or scrubs that grows out of the rocks. And he's hanging on to this thing, and he looks down. It's a couple hundred feet down, and it's, you know, 100, 200 feet up. And he, he doesn't have any rock climbing gear on. He's just hiking. And he thinks, wow. So this would be a good time to find out if God is real. And he looks up to heaven and says, God, if you're up there and you're real, can you help me? And the voice came back and said, I am God, I am real, and I can help you. He goes, wow, he's hanging on. And he said, okay, how are you going to help me? And the voice came back and said, you have to let go. <laughs> he looks down, he looks back up. Is there anyone else up there? <laughs> And that's, that's how we feel in these moments when we have these tests coming to us. Jesus already knew what he was going to do. Jesus already knew that Grace Church would be here before I knew it would be here. He already knew that you would be here. He already knew that. But there's a test taking place. And Jesus said here, he said here, uh, he, he, for this teaching moment to Philip, and remember, there's many teaching moments coming to you on a regular basis. Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And then the next verse says, verse 6, but this he said to test him, to test him. Now, this, is a, this type of testing is a test of a believer's character, the, the test of a believer's loyalty, your strength and your patience. And this is how the, there are testings of our faith, but it's always, you know, when the testings of our faith are tests of character and loyalty and strength and patience and so forth. It's not testing through, through things that Jesus redeemed us from. All right? So we can teach on that at another time, but just, just know that the, the tests that Jesus will bring to you are, have to do with your character, your loyalty, your strength, and your patience. He doesn't test you with, with a sickness and with poverty. He, we, we are, he redeemed us from those things, so it makes no sense why he would test us with those. But anyway, I say we'll do that another time. So, test of the believer. What is our response to being presented with something that appears impossible? What is our response to being presented with something that appears impossible? Again, in my brief story I shared with you and being called in, 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 into ministry and, and, and first to go to Bible school and, and so forth and then all the processes that, and all the steps that had taken place between that decision and, and, and the current reality of Grace Church right here in Berks County today. So a lot of tests have gone into that. 
Some I passed with flying colors and some I flat out flunked out on. But God in his mercy say, listen, you, there's no reason to flunk out on it. It's an open book test. And I'll get back and get it in the book and find the answer. It's in here. But he's merciful and he's patient toward us. And, so, and he's merciful and patient toward you as well. So in your relationship crises and a health or financial crisis, you know, when, when you are being presented with something that appears impossible or you are presented with a test from the Lord himself, the Holy Spirit is challenging you. There's a challenge going before you. How are you responding to it? Your current reality that you're in may, may be completely overwhelming. Your financial situation may be completely overwhelming and draining you of all your strength and really making it hard for you to trust God. Your, your health situation may be overwhelming and makes it very difficult for you to believe God. And it's very hard for you to read the promises of concerning having been redeemed from sickness and disease. And it's hard for you to... to uh, to really embrace that because of your current reality. It's hard for you to embrace that God wants to supply your every need, whether it be relational, health, or, or finances. Uh, uh, but uh, here's what I want you to recognize, that, that many of these uh, questions are being put before you, the Holy Spirit prompting, uh, the stirring within you. It's a test. But before you are tempted to put voice in the negative and, and, and to communicate and to throw up your arms, say, there's no way. There is no way. Before you do that, before you do that, I have done it on numerous occasions, but I'm learning not to do so. When I have that stirring, when, I'm, when, I, when I think, okay, it's, it's time to go to another level of faith and another level of patience, another level of kindness and goodness, and, and the challenge of God is coming to me, and, and Jesus is uh, he's playing, he's He's challenging me here like he's challenging Philip. He's asking him a rhetorical question. He knows what he's going to do, but, and God knows what he's going to do, but he's asking me anyway, or he's, he's pushing me in a certain direction, and, and it looks very challenging to me. And it's just, I look around and think, well, no, there's no, I want to say there's just no way. It ain't going to happen. Not in my lifetime. You know, we, don't be saying things like that. Don't be saying negative. Don't, don't put voice to your doubts. Just don't put voice to them any longer. Starve your doubts. Kill them by means of starvation. Don't feed them. And eventually you'll find them dissipating and you'll be, at the very least you're going to be able to keep your mouth uh, shut concerning the negative and you'll begin to put voice to it in the affirmative. You'll begin to speak to it as God would have you speak to it. So, for, so before we give voice to our lack, before we give voice to our health issues or our relationship conflicts, hit the pause button. Just hit the pause button. People say, well, what am I supposed to say? Well, who said you have to say anything? We all feel like we have to say something about everything. No, we don't. And no, you don't. Look at your neighbor and say, you have permission to be quiet. <laughs> I have no opinion. I have nothing to say. Talking about driving some of your relatives crazy. <laughs> they try to get you in on the, they try to get you in on all the junk that's going on and say, I have no opinion. I have nothing negative to say. I can tell you one thing about my brother-in-law. He has beautiful, beautiful blue eyes. <laughs> <laughs> 
You can find something nice to say about anybody if you want to. And you don't have to say anything negative or contrary about anyone if you don't want to. Choose to speak something kind. So hit the pause button and just be quiet. And the psalmist teaches us in Psalm 61 and verse 2. Psalm 61 and verse 2. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Jesus is your rock. He's higher than you. He's wiser than you. He's been there. He's done that. And many times he's asking you, he's speaking to you, and, he are, he, and he's putting a question before you, and he already knows what he will do. He knows what he's going to do. And in this particular situation, you know, Philip answers that 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. He's looking at it and saying, oh, here's the resources that we have. But this is not enough to feed all these people. It's not enough that each one could even have just a little bit. See that scarcity mentality? That scarcity mentality, it's not enough for you just to even have a little bit. Then one of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he's shown a glimmer of hope here. He said, there's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But then a little bit of doubt starts creeping in and he quickly follows up with, but what's that among so many? You know, we have this, we could sow this, we could give this to you, Jesus, but, it, but what's that among so many? It's amazing how we think what we have is insignificant, it's not nearly enough, it's not going to make any difference, it's not going to impact the kingdom for eternity because it's, it's small and it's insignificant and it's not going to make a difference. Even though we're thinking it's small and it's insignificant, I'm not going to give it to you, it's my crackers. These are my crackers. These are my fish, bless God. And who are you to ask me to give of what I have to you? Yeah, it's not much, but I'm not going to give it to you. Your resources, while they're not, it's not much, why would God ask me to give it? It's not much. Why would God ask me to give someone $10? $10 isn't much. Why would he ask me to give someone $5 or $100 or however much? thousands of dollars, whatever it may be. In your position in life, you're thinking, well, it's, no, it's not much. But bless God, when God asks you to give it to someone and he wants to test you, he knows what he's going to do, then we struggle with it. We have that same childish mentality. We don't want to, we don't want to share our crackers. These are my crackers. My mother packed my lunch for me this morning, and she put these five crackers and these two little fish in here, and I'm not going to share them with anyone. Besides that, why would I give them to you? You can't feed 5,000 people with this. That's just ridiculous. I'll just keep it all to myself, and I'll eat them and be happy. But thankfully, the young boy gave his uh, fish and his crackers to Jesus, and you know what happened, right? Jesus took the loaves, verse 11, and when he had given thanks, he straight with them to the disciples and disciples to those sitting down and likewise the fish as much as they, how much did they have? As much as they wanted. What was Philip's idea? It's not enough for them to each have a little bit. Now we see Jesus receiving the crackers and the loaves. Remember, Jesus knew what he's going to do. He knew this up front. If, if Philip would have, would have probably thinking, why didn't you tell me? Well, then it wouldn't have been faith. Why didn't you tell me? That's not faith. We are to live by faith. We're to walk by faith. 
Without faith, it's not possible to please God. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to believe him. He wants us to, to follow him. He wants us to put our trust and our security in him. Give your crackers to him. He knows what he'll do with it. Give your tithe to him. He knows what he'll do with it. Give your time to him. He knows what he'll do with it. Give your talent to him. He knows what he'll do with it. You might be thinking, well, it's not that much. It can't make an impact on the kingdom. Do you think I thought I would have an impact in the kingdom? In my growing up experience, in me being called to be a minister, then, then after having graduated from school, being an associate pastor, then having the unction to go to Reading area and start a church. Reading area and start a church. Reading, all I knew about Reading and Berks County is mafia. <laughs> Lancaster County people don't travel north to Reading. You just don't, it's a complete different culture. And growing up in Lancaster County, you don't go to Reading. That's, you know, it's, it's a wild place. The mafia rules that city. But God's saying, go, go, go. Really? Yeah, he said, go. I'm looking back at it now and saying, God, why don't you tell me what you're going to do? And the natural would have been a lot easier, but it wouldn't have been faith. So it's been steps of faith. Steps of faith and obedience. Steps of disobedience mixed in with it. And then, but coming back and being reconciled to God and his mercy, and then we continue on with God. Keep giving your fish. Keep giving what you think is insignificant. Jesus is asking you to do something. Many times he's asking you to do something or to share something with someone else. You think, well, that's so insignificant. Why would I do that? Because he has something great in store. He wants to take that little bit and make it, make it an abundance. He wants to take those five crackers and those two fish, and he's going to feed 5,000 people, not counting the wives and the children. And they all had as much as they wanted, as much as they wanted. And beside that, what did the little lad go home with? And the rest of the disciples, they went home with what? Twelve baskets left over. Twelve baskets full left over. Wow. That's why we are to overcome our doubts. So when in doubt, when in doubt, don't put voice to it. When in doubt, go to the rock, Jesus Christ. Allow him. Look to the rock. Look to the rock. Get your eyes off your circumstances. And number two, obey his commands. When you're in doubt, obey his commands. Fully follow through. And number three, here's the phrase that helped me many times in my life. Always consider. Everyone say, consider a supernatural solution. Say, consider a supernatural solution. When Simon was posed the question here about, how to, about feeding these people, never did it enter into his mind, this is going to have to be supernatural. This is going to be a supernatural thing. And he didn't just start rejoicing and say, I'm going to see a miracle here because Jesus is asking me how we're going to feed the 5,000 people. In my life, I'm trying to train myself when I feel God is prompting, God's leading in a different direction to stop looking at all the negatives. Just stop looking at all the negatives and all those, all those insurmountable 
circumstances that, that seemingly insurmountable circumstances that need to be overcome, but rather to lift up my eyes and to look to Jesus and say, Jesus, if this is you, then it's possible. All things are possible. Say this with me. All things are possible to him who believes. I will from this day on practice considering a supernatural solution to any dilemma that I find myself facing. Amen. Amen. Consider a supernatural solution. Whenever doubt crawls, how, am I, how are we ever going to get out of this debt? How are we ever going to overcome this relational conflict? How, are, how am I ever going to uh, get back in, in, into good health? How, 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 how? And, and the doubts come flying at you, and they come flying at you, and all the reasoning and all the doubt and all the unbelief, you're, you're being bombarded with it. Everywhere you look, you're bombarded with it, and everything you're hearing, you're bombarded with it. If you ever ride with me in the car, you'll be, you'll be riding with me in the car and uh, listen to the radio or whatever, and then a commercial will come on, come on and you'll, you'll find me f- turning the radio off. If you're watching television with me, you'll find the remote controls, you'll either my hand or Nancy's hand, and next thing you know, that it'll, it'll be muted, and you'll be wondering, why did they mute it? Why did they turn the TV off? I don't need to hear about all the things the pharmaceuticals are telling me are likely to happen to me. <laughs> So they can sell me something, and then, and then the last couple of minutes, they tell me all about all the side effects, all the things that could happen that I might not be able to see anymore. My heart pressure may go up. I may not be able to go to the toilet for six months. And I don't need to hear that over and over again. That puts doubt in my heart. I don't need to hear that five out of 10 men will experience this, or six out of 10 ladies will experience this. <laughs> I don't need to hear it. That builds doubt. So I'm starving my doubts. I, I hear stuff that's negative, I shut it off. Amen. I won't listen to it. Well, Pastor Ray, you're in denial. No, I'm not in denial. I'm keeping myself built up in the most holy faith in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. 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 <laughs> so starve your doubts. Look to the rock. Consider a supernatural solution. A little mental exercise there, but it'll make a tremendous difference in your life. Think of the, be a possibility thinker. Amen? Praise God. Why don't you all stand to your feet? Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you and I praise you for your abundant love, your grace, and your mercy. Thanking you, Lord God, for your kindness. And Lord God, just as Philip was presented with a challenge by Jesus, I thank you, Lord God, we also are presented on a daily basis through the scriptures and through the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You are continually challenging us, prompting us, and we're being tested in our faith to grow stronger in our patience, our perseverance, our loyalty. And Lord God, we accept those challenges because we look to you, we learn from Philip, and from Andrew, we learned, Lord God, that, that when we see here that it, it, was, it was a test. And, and Lord, we see that as we just completely put our trust and our confidence in you and abandon all logical thinking and, and just abandon that and say, no, Lord, we're putting our trust in you, that Lord, that we can, and we are considering there's gonna, uh, uh, that things are looking ripe for a miracle, and we look to you, and we thank you for it. Father, I pray that each one in here today, under the sound of my voice, that in Jesus' name, our hearts have been encouraged, that, Lord God, there's circumstances that we've been 
conflicted with, are conflicted with, and it seems like there's no way out. Father, I'm asking to open up the eyes of our heart, open up the eyes of our understanding. Give us supernatural vision, supernatural faith, Lord. Lord, help us to see that, that you are about to take what seems to be insignificant, whether it just be a few crackers or a few fish, whatever it is that you're asking of us, whatever it is that you are asking us to surrender to you, we surrender it to you knowing that you're about to do something huge. You're about to do something miraculous. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name, name above all names. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Folks, believe it, receive it in Jesus' name. Good things are in store for you. They really are. They really are. I want to just quickly remind you, for those of you that may not have been here last Sunday or didn't see the, the video or the announcement that uh, we announced last Sunday that Nancy and I are going to be taking a sabbatical in November, <laughs> November and December. So, so uh, <laughs> she's laughing at me because I don't know why she's laughing at me. <laughs> I just... I. <laughs> I just humor her. <laughs> She's the planner. When are we going? <laughs> We're going in November and December. We believe it's a God thing that God has instructed us to do. We shared with you about vision last Sunday. So if you didn't hear it, it, it it's online. You can log on and, and listen to it. We encourage you to do so. We have a great lineup of ministers coming in to minister. So next Sunday morning will be my last message. And then November and December will be gone. And I'll be back again for that first Sunday in January. I think it's January 6th or something like that. But looking forward to it. Uh, Grace Church has a lot of vision. God has a lot of good things in store for us here at Grace Church, and we're excited about it. Speaking of Grace Church and Grace Vision, the Grace Youth meet tonight at 6 o'clock, so we encourage the youth to be out here tonight and uh, have a great time of Bible study and fellowship and lots of good things going on. So we love you. God bless you. If you need anyone else to agree with you in prayer, just come up front here. Someone will meet you up here and be happy to pray with you. Other than that, you have a terrific day. May you prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. We love you and God bless you. Bye-bye.